What's up everyone? Good morning. Happy Easter. Thank you so very much for hanging out with us today and tuning in. For those of you that continue to tune in and like and share these messages with your friends and your circle of influence, thank you so very much for doing that. Continue to do that. Also, for those of you that continue to worship with us online through your generosity and giving and meeting our new $10 challenge, thank you so very much for doing that. That allows us to help more people, love more people, serve more people, and feed more people. So thank you so very much for tuning in today, worshiping with us today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and Easter. Stay tuned right after my message for some great worship from the Water's Edge Band. Today, we continue with our current series entitled, The Investigation. And when you investigate, you have to do some digging. And today, I would like us to dig into something that we have never heard before. Most of us who grew up in church, we have never heard this before. We've never heard it put like this before. We've never heard it said like this before. And we've never heard it taught like this before or explained like this before. Because today, we investigate the cross and the empty tomb. Now, I love Easter, but most people would say that Easter is just the same old story over and over again, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but I love that story. I love the story of Jesus rising from the dead, the empty grave, and the empty tomb. But the thing is this, to really understand the implications, in fact, the personal implications for myself and for you, we have to go a little bit deeper, and it requires us to pause and to look at some of the early moments of this resurrection story. To hit the pause button and look at some of the early moments in this Easter story, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm gonna take you back to some of these early moments that many times in this story, we just kind of skip right on over, we ignore, and we don't pay much attention to, but today I want us to pay attention to some of these early moments in this amazing story that many times gets forgotten and it gets overlooked. And so you have to understand something. That moment when Jesus has been crucified, he's hanging on the cross, people are staring. In the background is a crowd of broken-hearted people, broken-hearted people from Galilee, broken-hearted disciples. In this crowd is his mother and some of the other women who follow Jesus. But let me tell you who is not there. At this moment, when Jesus was crucified, there were no Christians there. At this moment, there were no believers there. At this moment, there was no Bible there. The only ones that were left were dozens and dozens of heartbroken people from Galilee. They were confused. Their religious leaders had conspired with Rome, their oppressors, to kill their enemy. Jesus, to falsely accuse and murder this Jesus. Jesus, the best person they had ever known. Someone who is not supposed to die like this. Someone who is extremely innocent. The one who they had come to believe was God's ultimate Messiah. And yet, in less than 24 hours, Jesus was arrested, put on trial, brutally beaten, brutally crucified, brutally murdered, and these people that loved Jesus were in shock because this was completely unexpected because his followers at this time, they thought they were on the verge of winning. 
Just four days before, Jesus made this great entry into the city of Jerusalem. And there was this massive crowds of people greeting Jesus into the city with palm branches at his feet. The palm branch means victory through peace or our heroes, our peacemakers, our kings have victory through peace. And so all of these people are going to welcome Jesus into the city and hail him as their king. And so they thought he was this massive hero. They looked at Jesus as a religious figure and a political figure that had come to set them free from Roman occupation, Roman slavery, and Roman oppression. They were looking at Jesus to be their earthly king, and his followers thought, we're about to win. This is the moment we've been waiting for. This is the exact moment that we've been waiting for. This is the exact moment where we win. Here he is, our Messiah. Here he is, our King. Here he is, our Deliverer. And he's going to set us free from oppression. He's going to set us free from Roman slavery. He's going to set us free from the Roman government. He's our Messiah and we're on the verge of winning this thing. And then suddenly, in an unexpected way, it's over. And Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross. Now understand this. The goal of crucifixion back in the days of Jesus was not simply death. There was much easier and quicker ways to murder and kill people back then. But the goal of the cross back then when Jesus was crucified, the goal back then of crucifixion was twofold. Number one, the goal of crucifixion back then was to produce terror in the community, to make sure that the community under Roman oppression was going to behave, was not going to rise up and go against Rome. So the cross was like Rome's billboard. This is what happens to you if you come against Rome. This is what happens to you if you try to rise up and defeat us and come against us. Back then, the Romans would crucify everyone that was trying to start a new movement that threatened their power and threatened their government and threatened their rule in the world. Back then, they ruled the world from England to India. And so back then, they would crucify people in public, many times in high places, and leave their bodies on the cross to let everyone in the community know this is what happens to you when you come against Rome. In fact, back then, in one day, Rome had crucified over 500 rebels on a huge scaffold of wood. They only stopped that day because they ran out of wood. Back then, the Romans had to create a brand new word to describe the pain of the cross. It was the worst possible way to die. They would literally look at someone dying on the cross and say, out of the cross, out of the cross or ex-crucifixion, it's where we get our word excruciating, excruciating pain. So the first purpose of crucifixion back in the days of Jesus was to be a billboard, to produce terror in the community to make sure they don't step out of line. But the second purpose was this, and it was oblivion for the person being crucified. It was meant to erase the identity of the person being crucified. Crucifixion was to erase your existence. And then after you died, they would take your body, take your remains, place your remains in a trash dump. And many times it was either burned or eaten by wild animals. But for a price, you could bribe the Romans. You could pay them for the body of the person who had been crucified. And sometimes 
they would let you have that body and give that body a burial. You could pay for them. Well, the gospel writers tell us that when Jesus was crucified, after he had passed away, after he had died, after he had been murdered, that a man named Nicodemus, who was very popular in the city of Jerusalem as a religious leader, as a Pharisee, but he secretly loved Jesus and he was following Jesus. And another man named Joseph, who was very well known in the city, who was also a follower of Jesus, that they went to the governor Pilate and they asked him for the body. They both went and asked him and he gave them the body because they wanted to give Jesus a proper burial. And the gospel writers tell us the body of Jesus had been taken to a cave this cave had been recently renovated to be a grave and they were going to take some spices and prepare his body and seal him in the tomb and then years and years and years later people could go your family and loved ones could go and get your bones and place your bones in a box now today sometimes we keep our loved ones ashes in a box but back then they would take your bones after you've been buried for years and years and years they would retrieve them and keep your bones in a box all over jerusalem all over galilee was boxes with bones in it and these two men wanted to prepare the body of jesus they were secret followers of jesus and the reason why they did is because they believed that jesus was a good man was an innocent man and he did not deserve to die this way and so they wanted to give him a proper burial. So that's what they did. They prepared his body and then they went home to celebrate the Sabbath. Meanwhile, 1,500 miles away at this same time in Rome, Tiberius Caesar, the most powerful man in the world, the emperor of Rome. By the way, not much was written about him. He did all these other amazing things. Not many people wrote about him, but many people were writing about Jesus and many things were written about Jesus. But right now, Tiberius Caesar has no idea what's going on in Judea. Also, Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the Apostle Paul, an amazing Christian missionary who started all kind of churches and he wrote half the New Testament. He had not been a follower of Jesus and he was celebrating the Passover with other religious leaders other Pharisees and they were celebrating that this Jesus this troublemaker this radical had been murdered put on trial killed in public this was a troubled figure they did not agree with him and so they were glad that he had been killed Thomas the disciple who doubted doubting Thomas had fled the city ran away from the city with some other the other disciples meanwhile Peter James and John are huddled together in the city they had not fled yet. They were hiding and they were trying to figure out what else to do. Peter considers going back to fishing, his father's business. I don't know what else to do. Jesus is gone. I have to go back to my old job. Some of the other disciples think they're gonna join him. And then Matthew, who was a tax collector who used to work for Rome collecting taxes before he followed Jesus, he has nothing to go back to. No job prospects. And then all the way across town in this moment are the women who are gathered, who love Jesus, follow Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is with them. She's in utter shock. She just saw her son, she just witnessed her son being brutally crucified and brutally murdered. So now you have confused citizens and the disciples are scared to death and brokenhearted. But one thing you would have not found in that moment when Jesus was crucified, there were no Christians there yet. No believers there yet. No followers there yet. 
No one in this moment believed that Jesus was the Savior. He could not and would not even save himself. And there is no Bible either in this moment. There were no scriptures. It's also important to know that no one in this group was planning on keeping the dream alive. No one in this group was planning on keeping the Jesus movement going. Jesus had been caught, put on trial, murdered, he's dead, he's buried, and they all expected Jesus to do what dead people do, and that's to stay dead. Why bother keeping this dream alive? Our leader, our rabbi, has been murdered, and he's gone. Now, this is often overlooked, but if you're someone who used to be a person of faith, you used to follow Jesus, you used to be close to Jesus, but maybe you've walked away, drifted away, maybe doubts got the best of you, or maybe you convinced yourself that you behaved badly enough to where you just can't hold on to the faith. This is very, very important, really important, because the centerpiece of the ministry of Jesus, believe it or not, was not his teachings. The centerpiece of the ministry of Jesus, the driving force behind the ministry of Jesus was not his stories, not his teachings, not his parables. Jesus did not come to leave us with a collection of ideas, stories, parables, and he did not ask people to trust in his ideas. He did not ask people to trust in his parables or stories. No, he instructed his followers to do this, to follow him, to believe in him, and to only put their trust in him. And it was not his stories that got him crucified either. What got Jesus crucified was who he loved, who he loved, and who he claimed to be. What got Jesus killed was who he loved. He loved those people that no one else was willing to love and who Jesus claimed to be. He claimed to be king. He claimed to be Israel's Messiah. In fact, in the Gospels, it's so fascinating. At one point, he claimed to be greater than Moses. Are you kidding me? Moses gave us the laws of God. Are you claiming to be greater than the laws of God? And then, this was the nail in the coffin. Then Jesus went on to say that he was greater than the temple. Are you kidding me? The temple where we worship God's presence, where God's presence would live in the Holy of Holies, and you're saying that you're greater than Moses, greater than the laws of God, greater than the temple, where we worship God? Are you basically saying that you're greater than our entire religious system? Jesus even said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This enraged them. This got him killed. No, people did not follow Jesus because of what he was saying. They followed Jesus because of who he was and who he claimed to be. But as we pause in this moment, they were thinking that they were wrong. We have to pause here. The Holy One of God cannot be killed. The Messiah cannot be killed. So when Jesus died, the Jesus movement died right along with him. It's also important to know as well, because this gets confusing in our modern culture, Jesus was not a reformer. He did not come to make their religion better. He did not come to change their religion. Jesus showed up to make something brand new. And the temple leaders in Rome did not want another leader starting something brand new. If we let this Jesus start something brand new, other people are going to start something brand new. There's going to be an uprising. And so we have to obliviate Jesus. We have to crucify Jesus. We have to erase him 
erase his followers, erase his identity. Jesus even told his disciples that on this declaration that he's going to start something new, he's going to build his church. On this declaration that I will build something brand new, I will start my church, build my church, it will go on and on and on, it will last and last and last, and even the gates of hell will not conquer the church. But in their mind, when Jesus died, everything died with it. Rome had won, religion had won. After Jesus was crucified, there was no church, no followers, no believers, no Christians, no Bible. And to the point of the Easter story, when Jesus died, everyone, including the mother of Jesus, expected him to do what dead people do, and that is to stay in the grave, stay in the tomb, and stay dead. So those two men that we talked about, they prepared the body of Jesus for burial to stay dead. And on Easter morning, no one is standing outside the tomb waiting. There's not a crowd outside the tomb on Easter morning waiting for Jesus to rise with a countdown, guitars, drums, light show, five, four, three, two, one, here he comes. That's not happening. The Gospels tell us that the women who love Jesus are getting up on Easter morning as soon as the sun is rising and they're gonna go to the tomb to re-prepare the body of Jesus for burial. Why? Because the original people that prepared the body for burial was two men. And just like sometimes the women have to reload the dishwasher because men can't do things that well, the women who love Jesus want to make sure that this was done right. So they take all these spices and they're going to go re-prepare the body of Jesus for burial. Now, back to this moment in time. No Christians, no believers, no Bible, just the empire of Rome. Rome is taking a deep breath because this new king and his new uprising has been killed. They are troublemakers and it's been stopped. Now everyone look right here and understand this. Notice the cross too. It's very important to understand that we hit pause in this moment. Rome, the religious leaders, they come together, they murder Jesus. He is not gonna have this uprising. He is not gonna start something new. We are going to obliviate Jesus and the Jesus movement. So we pause right there and we go to the future. We fast forward 350 years to the future. It's February the 27th in the year 380. On this day, February the 27th, the year 380, 350 years after Rome and the religious leaders in Israel murder and crucify Jesus and hang him on the cross, the Roman emperor at this time issues a new proclamation and a new law for all of the Roman Empire. And this is what the new proclamation says. And this is what the new law says. Notice this. If you're still with me, say I'm still with you. That Christianity now is going to be the main and the official religion of the Roman Empire. Say what? Just 300 years earlier, they murdered him on the cross. And now there's a new law and a new proclamation that the only religion in Rome is to worship Jesus. In fact, all the other pagan religions get defunded by the Roman government. They are not the main religions anymore. Now the God of Rome is Jesus. Say what? How does this happen? How does Rome go from murdering Jesus on the cross 
350 years later in the future, make Jesus the God of Rome. How did this happen now? Back to us today. Today, there is no Roman Empire. But if you go to Rome today, there's crosses everywhere. If you walk around Rome today, you see crosses everywhere. But today, those crosses in Rome do not represent all the crucifixions that Rome did in the past. Today, those crosses in Rome only represent one crucifixion, and that's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Today, the cross in Rome, and for us today, represents hope, new life, encouragement, salvation, compassion, the love of God. Today, you can go to Jerusalem, and you can take a Jesus tour, walked where he walked. How does this happen? Now, if that's all that you knew, if you knew nothing else, Jesus was crucified by Rome, given up by his own people, rejected by his own people, and now those very people and places claim that he's God. Well, put your investigating hat on. How does that happen? Because something amazing happened. By the way, all of this is historically indisputable. But how does this happen? Let's think as investigators. What happened? Not what was written. But what happened to change everything? And what happened is this. It's actually why we're here today. After Jesus had been in this renovated grave for a few days, the stone was rolled away. Jesus stepped out of the tomb and he rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. Jesus is gone. The grave is empty. Jesus is not there. And what happened was actually recorded in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is what happened. And notice this today. John chapter 20 Verses 1 through 10. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded and laying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that, that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. Later this afternoon on this day, the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples and visits with them. How amazing. And they immediately, immediately restart the Jesus movement. He's alive. Now we understand. He did not come to be our physical king. He did not come to be a political leader. He did not come to be our earthly deliverer. He came to be our spiritual king. He came to deliver our hearts, and it's time to restart the Jesus movement, and they knew it. And it catches wildfire in a moment. This is not a Bible story. This is the story, and this is my story, and this can be your story also. Now, considering all of that, let me ask you a question, and notice this today. If you're still with me, say I'm still with you. Could today be the day when you restart the Jesus movement in your own life and in your own heart? Because this is what the disciple John says that God feels about us. John saw all of this 
and he recorded everything about the resurrection and the life of Jesus and he whittled everything down about the heart of Jesus and what Jesus feels about you and the world and he explained it in this way today and notice this John 3:16 for God loved the world in this way for God so loved the world this is how God loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whosoever, anyone who believes in him will never perish but have real and everlasting and eternal life. Yes, you've been hurt, but God's never going to stop loving you. Yes, you've been betrayed, but God's never stopped loving you. Yes, you've been backwards. Yes, you have a past. Yes, you have weaknesses. Yes, you have failures. Yes, you have mistakes, but God has never stopped loving you. Yes, you felt despair. Yes, you felt depression. Yes, you felt overwhelmed in your life, but God has never stopped loving you. And so it's time to restart the Jesus movement in our hearts. And you may be thinking, Tony, I'd love to do that. I've been needing to do that, but how? I don't really know how. I'm so glad you asked. Let me show you how today that you can restart the Jesus movement in your life. This is how we can live the Easter story. Number one, this is how you restart the Jesus movement serve people who are hurting understand this today we serve god by serving people this is how you serve god if you want to serve god you have to serve people serve the hungry this is the jesus movement serve the heartbroken this is the jesus movement serve the oppressed serve the marginalized serve the bullied serve the broken this is the jesus movement number two the second step to restart the Jesus movement in your heart is to practice radical love. And this is the best way I can explain that. This is how you love like Jesus. Practice the type of love that confuses people. Practice the type of love that makes other people think you're different and you're a little bit strange. There's something different about your patience, something different about your forgiveness, something different about your kindness, your grace, and your mercy. This is the Jesus movement. And then number three, when you fall down, keep getting up. If you want to restart the Jesus movement in your heart, then when you fall down, keep getting up. Say, Tony, does God really love and forgive someone like me? If he's going to forgive me, he's going to forgive you. Say, Tony, you don't know where I've been, what I've done. You don't know where I've been and what I've done either. And I'm telling you, if he can forgive me, he can forgive you. When I fall down, when God helps someone like me stand back up again, and this will always be the answer if you're thinking, will God help someone like me stand back up again over and over and over again? And this is always the answer. If you're still with me, Sam, still with you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whosoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. At the center of the Jesus movement is this. God will love you forever. So if you're hurting today, stand back up again because this is the Jesus movement. We're soldiers. We're troops is what I say. But our weapon is the love of God and our ammunition is the love of God. And so we don't attack people for their depression. We attack that depression with the love of God. We don't attack people for their past. We attack their past with the love of God. We don't attack people for their hurts. We attack their hurts with the love of God. We don't attack people for their addiction. We attack their addictions with the love of God. We don't attack people for their guilt and for their shame. We attack their guilt and shame with the love of God. We don't attack, attack people for their weaknesses or their pain. We attack their weaknesses and their pain with the love of God. And this is the Jesus 
movement. And so understand today that if you want to restart the Jesus movement in your heart, then serve people, practice radical love, and when you fall down, always get back up again because this is reality. Jesus Christ was born. He lived. He loved. He taught. He set free. He fed. He was arrested. He was murdered. They tried to obliviate him. And then three days later, he rose from the dead and the movement starts all over again. Thank you so very much for hanging out with us today. Stay tuned for some worship. We absolutely love you all. Happy Easter, everyone. We hope you have a wonderful week.